0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAg.com. I'm excited about the new year. Are you guys excited about the new year? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think God's doing things. I really do. I keep saying it. I know I sound like a broken record, but I'm saying it because I feel it. I believe it. I really do. And, uh, you know, the message I have prepared to share today for some of you guys, you know, it may be maybe some new ideas that you've not heard before, but for some and for most probably this is going to be familiar territory because, you know, God's already spoken and he's revealed himself and, and we're really not looking for a new revelation. We're looking for truth. We're looking for what He's already revealed. And what we're doing is we're growing in it. And so sometimes it may seem new to us or a different way of looking at something, but it's really not new. In fact, if it's new, we really don't want it, right? But if it's something that God has that we've just not stepped into yet, or we find out that maybe at some point we have believed it, but we've let it slip, it's time to brush back up and stir ourselves back up and step into it. And so, you know, a lot of... Um, a lot of church, uh, in the church world, especially in America, speaking from experience where I grew up, we talk a lot about getting saved, getting born again, right? And that's a supernatural event where you are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are born again. You are rescued from the devil. Thanks, Jack. I, can, I could stand over here. Oh, <laughs> give like, me a little walk in the room. Yeah. There you go, right there so you can come out. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> um but there's a, uh, it, it's a supernatural thing. And then a lot of times we emphasize in the fact that why do you get saved? And it's so that you can go to heaven when you die. So what about that long space between when you get saved and when you die? And that's a really long time for some of us. What are we supposed to do then? I think a lot of Christian um, teaching and it's not, not wrong, I'm not knocking it, but it's been just good advice on how to live your life. And there's a lot of good advice in the Bible. And we're going to teach through, you know, some, I'm thinking of going through the book of James. I mean, it's just full of Christian advice on how to live your life. It's a good thing. But there's something that's even more important that God came to do that he wants for us. And that is to be connected to him in this life. The Christian life, when we step into the kingdom of God and we step into the reality of God, Christianity is the only thing that connects a person with God, where God comes and makes his habitation in you. And that's what the, that's what makes the Christian life exciting. When you hear testimonies of people who've gone around and done things and changed the world and changed cultures, it's because God was with them. And... Uh, I I have uh, been speaking I've been saying this over and over and over let God invade your life. I want to give you this idea today. Let God invade your life. What would it be like if God invaded your life? And around Christmas time I woke up with this verse in my head that those living in darkness will see a great light. And if you watched our our when our power was out and we couldn't have church if you watched that you heard me say this um That verse came into my mind and I thought, well, well, I know that's in Jesus. and I know that was quoted from the Old Testament. So I looked it up and it was in Isaiah. The verse in Isaiah says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And then you go to Matthew chapter 4 and you see the fulfillment of it. And you know what the fulfillment was? Jesus moved from Nazareth, where he was brought up, to Capernaum. He moved to the land of the Gentiles, and it says, the people living in darkness saw a great light. And I got to thinking, if that fulfills that verse, Jesus moving from one town to another, what would happen if Jesus moved to Knoxville? What would that look like? I think, you know, he would obviously bring the Holy Spirit with him. Father God, miracles, people would be healed. And uh, in Knoxville, there's a lot of people who need healed, so I think he would get a big crowd pretty fast, don't you? The masses would be following him, and he would grow in popularity. He'd be teaching about the kingdom of God and proclaiming the kingdom of God, and uh, people would be coming to him from all around the region. And, of course, you know that would trigger some of the religious leaders in the city. I don't know anybody personally, but I know that they would come out of the woodwork, and they would oppose him because that's what they did the first time. They would say, he can't be from God because... I don't know. Because he doesn't wear a mask. Because if he was from God, he would definitely wear a mask because he would obey the recommendations of the CDC. Or he can't be from God because he does wear a mask. I mean, I'm just saying either way, you're trapped, right? There are fine things to, to say he can't be from God because of whatever. And then they would come against him and oppose him. And then you know with his crowds in today's climate... The government would be monitoring him, right? Anybody's going to get a big crowd. They're going to be watching, see what's going on. So the government would be monitoring him. There will be religious groups opposing him. And eventually, if history repeats itself, eventually those religious leaders would collude with the government and they would try to shut him down. Because that's what they did when they crucified him. They would say, don't give him a permit. Don't let him have a meeting. You know, don't give him a permit for that tent, that outdoor meeting, whatever. They would collude to shut him down. And I guess my point is this. It's just not always as pretty as we like to think it is. When heaven invades a place. It draws lines. It makes people uncomfortable. A lot of people have said, you know, if we could just show the world Jesus, how good he is. How much, you know, how how loving and how kind he is. They would love him and they would follow him. But you know, I don't know about you, but I don't think I can show the world Jesus any better than Jesus could show the world Jesus. And when Jesus came and showed the world Jesus, they killed him. So the question is, are you ready and willing to identify with Jesus and share in this reproach of the gospel? Because there are going to be some people who love you, and there'll be some people who hate you. The more you look like Jesus, and the more those lines are drawn, and the more clear things become, the more people will have an opinion about you. You're not just going to go along and get along. In 1 Peter 4.4, Peter says that they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess, as excess of dissipation, and they malign you. So they, because you won't go and run with them and the crazy things they're doing, they're going to speak evil of you. They're going to speak hateful things of you. In the King James Bible, it actually says, they think it's strange that you don't run into these same excesses. They think it's strange. They don't understand you. And they're offended by the fact that you just say, no thanks. I mean, you're not even doing anything. You're not, you're not trying to say, you need to do that. You're not imposing anything. All you're doing is you're just not running with them. You just say, no, I don't want to go there. No, I'm not going to do that with my family. No. And they become offended. I hate to tell you. I think you guys have seen it. And I think the more we look like Jesus and the brighter we shine, not because of necessarily what we do, but sometimes just because of what we choose not to do. We can bring this upon ourselves, but get ready. <laughs> So I guess my question is this: Are you ready for God to invade your life? The first one is um is when do you remember when Moses led the people out into the wilderness and they built the tabernacle, right? Now I got to tell you, when I was young, I, I think I must have been like twelve years old. I got a, a grown-up Bible for my birthday, and uh, before that I was reading, you know, the the um was the Living Bible with the pictures, right? <laughs> And I got one with the brown cover and the gold leaf, you know. the, news Bible. Hmm? the Good News Bible. The Good News Bible? No, it was a NIV. the NIV. It was an NIV. Right. But, I mean, it was, it was nice. I liked it. <laughs> uh, every day, I would go in there, and I was like, just the way I'm wired. Because, see, if somebody comes and says, I'm trying to read through the Bible, I say, start in the New Testament, right? That's your covenant. That's, it'll make sense. So, I had a friend, and... Uh, I kept telling him that. He was insistent. He came to the Lord, and he is insistent. He wanted to read through the whole, and he did. He read through the whole Bible. He must have been wired like me. Had to start in Genesis and go all the way through. We met every week for a Bible study. He would asked me these questions, you know. So why would he have him kill animals and do that? It doesn't make any sense. I was like, well, start with the New Testament, and then it'll make sense. But no, no we had to work through it brutally, right through the old, from the old to the new back. Is it back? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry for our Facebook guys. We'll just do what you can. <laughs> we'll do what we can. Um, but in Genesis, you've got, you know, creation. You've got the sin. You've got the Tower of Babel. Uh, oh, no. First it was Noah and the flood Then the Tower of Babel and then the choosing of Abraham and then his children, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And then you've got this neat person named Joseph. He has a fascinating story and we end up with all the Israelites in Egypt, right? Well, Exodus starts out just as exciting, right? Because they're 400 some years later. They're in Egypt, and you know they're groaned in number, and they're child to put the kids out to die. And Moses is rescued out of the water, and um, you know he's called of God out by a burning bush. Just miracle after miracle after miracle. Then you've got the plagues, Let My People Go, the Red Sea Crossing, and they get through the sea, and they get into the wilderness at 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud that had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. And I learned later, much later, as an adult, that this is the beginning of God is doing in the earth that started all the way back in Genesis. There is, a, there is a circle from Genesis all the way to here that this completes. Because you know in the garden the man walked with God. Right, He fellowshiped with God. The garden was a place where God and the man met together. He enjoyed the presence of God. And then what happened? Sin came, separated him from God. He was driven out of the garden. And now, what does Moses say to Pharaoh? Let my people go that they may worship in the wilderness. And so finally, we see the glory of God, the presence of God coming back and dwelling with one group of people on the earth. One group of people. But you know what that was? That was an advanced sign of God's claim on the whole earth. God's claim on Israel was an indication and a signpost of his claim on the whole earth. Doesn't Habakkuk 2.14 say this? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's not an Israel-specific promise, is it? It says the earth will be filled with knowledge. Now go with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is the, um, you guys know Stephen was the, uh, the martyr who was stoned in the book of Acts. And before they killed him, they, he gave this speech. And it was a really, really long speech. But it's really interesting because you get to see things from his perspective. But we're going to pick it up in uh, Acts 7 Verse 44, and he's recounting to them his Joshua upon dispossessing the nations. So they brought the tent with them when Joshua came into the promised land, whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. Now David found favor in God's sight, this is verse 46, and he asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. If you remember, he built a nice big palace for himself and he said, why am I living in a palace and God's still living in a tent? So he asked if he could build a temple. And God said, no, you won't. Um, You're a man of war. You've got blood on your hands, but your son will build the temple. So it says, verse 47. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which had made all these things? So there you go. God doesn't live in temples. He doesn't live in tabernacles. So this is my question. What did God want them to understand when he came and committed himself to a physical place among them? In the tabernacle and later in the temple, he committed himself to a physical place. Go with me back. If you're in Acts, just flip back. We're flipping today. We don't have the verses on the screen. But that's okay, I like, I like flipping in the Bible because we get to uh, look at things sometimes in context and remember where it's at in the Scripture. And this is interesting to me. It's John chapter 4. This is the story where Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria. And they came to the well, Jacob's well, which was a historical place. And he met a Samaritan woman there. The disciples had already gone into town to buy food and he was alone and the woman came and he starts engaging her in conversation. And so at some point, he said, Get back into town and uh, get your husband and come back here. And uh, she said, Well, I have no husband. And then Jesus, knowing things by the Holy Spirit, said, well, That's right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with now is not your husband. So he's called her out on how she, how she was living. So she immediately says, Hey, I perceive that you are a prophet. This is uh, four. John chapter four, verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I pres- believe me. An hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship which you do not know and we worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. That's what I was saying is part of Jewish history is salvation history is how God worked on the earth to protect a people where he could bring Jesus through. Mm-hmm. So it is our history. Then he says, but an hour is coming, and now is, say, and now is, yes. and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. I ask you a question. Jesus said, the Father is looking for people who will worship in spirit and in truth. The Old Testament temple worship, was it spiritual? Makes you think, doesn't it? Hmm. It was really physical. They took a physical animal, they put it on a physical altar, they killed it with a physical knife, lit a physical fire, and I got all the way to this word for truth. So if I remember right it was aletheia, but I could be wrong, don't believe me. You know, is that right? Okay. And and in the Greek the word for truth actually it's not it's not like truth versus necessarily a lie, it's true. Uncovered, open, revealed versus something hidden. So the opposite of true would be hidden. Does that make sense? So they're worshiping in something that they did not understand. It wasn't that it was a lie or that it wasn't God's law. It was that it was hidden from them, what they were doing. It wasn't fully disclosed what was coming. It was hidden. But God is looking for people who will worship in a full understanding now. And now is, the time is now, that we will worship him in spirit and in truth. So what happened in in salvation history, why did God pick a physical place, the tabernacle, than the temple? Because he was giving a non-spiritual people an object lesson. So that you're worshiping at the altar, but something is coming that will be disclosed to you. And you'll understand what you're doing. And Jesus says the time is coming and now is. That's why we don't do sacrifices anymore. We don't go to the temple. We don't even have to blow shofars. If you like blowing shofars, blow a shofar. But we don't have to blow shofars or do any of that kind of stuff. Because we can walk in truth in the revelation of God. God with us. Now... Go back, if you're in John 4, just flip back to the beginning of John. I'm going to show you how this is fulfilled in Jesus. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, that is the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that had come into being. So this word that was in the beginning with God created all things. By him, all things were created. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So the life that we were cut off from, when have we gotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is being fulfilled in Jesus. Why? Because, let me read it in a couple of translations. The Message Bible says this, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's a paraphrase, but I like it. Moved into the neighborhood. The Young's Literal Translation, listen to this one. And the word became flesh and did tabernacle among us. Isn't that an interesting word? Mm -hmm. Tabernacled among us. So I looked it up in the Strongs, and I've heard this preached. You guys have heard this preached. You know it's not going to be a surprise for most of you. But you look at the word dwelt. It means to tent or encamp. That is to occupy or reside in the tabernacle. See, in Jesus, God was pitching his tent and putting his glory on him. Now, it's not confined to a space, a tent, or a tabernacle. It's in a person. It's in Jesus. Jesus is a walking, talking tabernacle. And now, Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, and all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. See, the presence of God and the glory of God were with Jesus, not the temple. With Jesus. Jesus replaced the temple. That's what made the Jews so angry. You remember when they get mad at him for healing people on Sunday? Or it's not Sunday, the Sabbath. The Sabbath day. You know what I mean. Uh, they heal people. That sounds like a great day to get healed to me. And they're like, no, you will not heal on the Sabbath. And what? I How is that offensive to heal somebody on the Sabbath? Well, breaking the law? Yeah, breaking the law. But you know why? That was temple business. It was the temple's temple business. He's out there forgiving sins on the street, healing people right out there where they are. And now people don't need to go to the temple for forgiveness of sins because Jesus is doing it right out there on the street. Why? Because the temple is now redundant and unnecessary because Jesus is here. And they knew that. They knew that's what he was doing is you know I'd start off and then first thing I'd see you know on the 640 which way to go to Asheville Nashville right so you would go 40 west Nashville and you go on out and uh, you get to the 640 uh, or not the 40 75 split right and it says Chattanooga this way Nashville I'm following the signs to Nashville I get over to Kingston and then I remember the sign I've seen it so many times Nashville 170 miles right You get up on the plateau, signs, Nashville, Nashville, Nashville. But you know where you don't see signs that say Nashville this way? When you're in Nashville. (laughs) Right? You don't need a sign when you're there. This temple was an advanced signpost of what God was going to do in Jesus. And when Jesus is here, the signpost is no longer necessary because Jesus is here. A time is coming, he said, and now is. Now, as good as this was. Because I really think that uh, God, being in human flesh, as he was with Jesus, was way better than the glory cloud sitting on a temple, do you? If you knew what Jesus was like, you knew what the Father was like. They said, show us the Father. And he's like, well, you've seen me. Isn't that enough? I I long for the day when we can actually say, I know what God is like, because I know what those people are like. You know? I hung out with Jay, so I know what God is like. That would be awesome. That's what God wants to do through us. But as good as it was for God to be in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus said there's actually something even better. John 16, 7, he says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And if you will turn with me to the book of Acts, the second chapter, I want to show you what happened when the helper came. The book of Acts is a church history of after Jesus left about God invading people's lives. Acts 2, chapter 1, he says this, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered in one place. That's why we read about when the glory of God came into the tabernacle and Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle. Or when the glory of God came on the temple and the priests couldn't stand to to do their work. Now the glory of God is coming and flames of fire are sitting on the head of people, the church. And Jesus said, this is better. Why? Because before, Jesus was confined to one body, one person. He could move around, but he was still confined to a physical place, right? But now, wherever you are, there is God. You carry the presence of God. He wants to manifest himself through us and in our lives in the same way that he did with Jesus. You see this? The very same spirit that met with Moses in the tent of meeting. same spirit that filled the tabernacle and then later the temple. The very same spirit that came upon Jesus at his baptism. The very same spirit that raised him from the dead is the very same spirit that God has given to us. The very same Holy Spirit. That's why he says you have an anointing in you that can teach you all things. We can follow that spirit. And what I want to see us do today, really, I, I'm just, I just want us to be humble. I just want to take just a minute and I want to talk about, this kind of, feels kind of like shifting gears, but it isn't. I want to talk about repentance. Just because it came to me very strong this week. If you know me and if you've listened to anything I've been saying lately, I am hammering grace. Because I, one thing that really irritates me is when we try to put conditions on things that God has provided by grace. I, I hate that. You know, the Holy Spirit, though to say, what's the verse I've quoted uh, Matthew ten seven and 8, right? Freely you have received, he says, heal the sick, the dead, cast out demons, heal the lepers, proclaim the kingdom, freely you have received, freely give. There's no, no strings attached with that. He's, one translation says it was free when you got it, make sure it's free when you give it. And for people who try to put requirements that you have to be loyal to an organization or something like that, it's wrong. So I have no hesitation to say it's wrong. But sometimes there is a movement among us at um, the same time. You can't gaze intently, you know, at God and at the same time gaze intently at something of the world or something that's sinful. Because it, it it will pull you away. It just will. So repentance is changing your it's a change of mind, but it's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And so when I say, let's take the time this week, you know, if my people will humbly pray, right? It, it talks about turning away from their wicked ways. That's repentance. It's turning away. They're turning their face to God, and they're looking to God for their help. And so as we give, their, give our time this week to meditate, reading through our scriptures, reading through the Bible reading plan, let's pray. And let's look for God. Let's gaze, fix our gaze upon God. Sometimes I think we don't hear him because we're distracted, you know? And maybe we don't even have to turn from some horrific sins. I mean, I'm not saying that anybody in here is doing that. I don't know. don't have any inside information. But sometimes I think, you know, even little things just distract us. And it's a decision to turn from what God is doing. Because, you know, he can show up and show out in some pretty crazy ways. He can light a temple on fire. Even, you know, in our, the history of our denomination, it was birthed out of the Azusa Street movement. When they had the Azusa Street movement, that, that building, there was a fire on top of that house where they were first meeting when the spirit was poured out. And, and the history of it says the fire department came three times to put out a fire that wasn't physical. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I'm not really trying to seek after the signs because I know reality. The Spirit is here with us now. But if he wants to light the building on fire and let Knoxville watch it burn, that's pretty cool. I'm good with that. you know. But what I want to do is I want to seek him. I want to understand him. I want to follow after his Spirit. And I want to flow in those gifts and those callings that he's placed within me. And I know he's done the same thing with you. And I just want to encourage you to do that. Would you just stand with me as we pray? <clears throat> Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I remind us this week that as we turn from things that would distract us and put our focus and attention on you, Lord, that we will learn how to listen. It says in your word that my sheep know my voice. It's not something that we have to teach each other saying, know the voice of God, because we all can do it. But Lord, let us not be so busy and distracted that we forget to listen. Father God, take us there this week. Do something mighty in our midst. Do something mighty in our lives as individuals. Work through us, Lord. We yield to you and we commit to it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys, thank you so much.